Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode where I get to speak to incredible people from around the world and today's guest is truly remarkable. We literally have been having a conversation just before this podcast and it went on way longer than any other conversation that I've had before a podcast. I'm going to introduce to the podcast today Deborah Jenkins or Deborah Jenkins prefers to be called Deborah. Uh, Deborah's had an incredible life. Uh, she is chair of NCFE, which is the third biggest provider of uh, vocational qualifications. She has 30 years experience of a charity called the TDI, which came about as a result of the Cleveland child abuse scandal. I think that's going to be 30 years in 2023. Uh, and this is all about reducing the risk of sexual offending. She has a real passion when it comes to the development, future development of children, particularly those who are underprivileged and come from deprived backgrounds and maybe those in care. So she has led upon a community interest company, which I love this. It uh, it takes, it creates opportunities for paid painting and decorating. So they're out tendering for jobs for painting and decorating to give it to young children who can then earn money whilst learning a craft, which I think is brilliant. And the idea, if I remember right, Deb, is that uh, you want to create opportunities for the very same children to become the leaders of this uh, social enterprise going forward. Yes, I mean, we, we're, we're a tiny, tiny outfit at the moment. We only started a couple of years ago. Uh, and and we, we start with giving young people uh, work experience. Uh, and then the the intention is that as as uh, some some of them, of course, it's just a work experience, and they'll they'll go off and they'll do something else and something marvelous. Uh, but others might suddenly get the bug for a, a trade, and and uh, some of those we hope will go into proper training, uh, and and a few might actually join us as apprentices and and come on to eventually take over the company. So we'd like to grow, but we're very much in the acorn stage at the moment. I, I love that you're trying to create these future leaders as well. You know, not only are you providing opportunities, but you're thinking ahead and saying, hey, you know what, some of these can actually become the leaders of the company. Um, I, I once heard a, a quote or a phrase back in around about 1990, that has really shaped my leadership thinking. And it said that the mark of an outstanding leader is not just about how good a leader you are, but how many leaders you create. And you are certainly creating leaders in all the work that you do. Well, that's very kind of you to say so. I mean, I think one of the things that I find about 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 leadership uh, is that as you, as certainly for me, as I've got older and done more things uh, where I've had a, an, an accountability and a responsibility, uh, is that you realise as you get older that you will never solve anything. Thing. So I think when I was young, you know, I kind of 
went into things thinking, <laughs> yes, you know, this one I'm going to get right. I'm going to sort of, you work your socks off. And then you'd kind of be unceremoniously heaved out in different ways. You know, either you got to the end <laughs> yeah. of your job or you went on to something different. And, and you thought, well, actually, you know, what can I look back on and see that it's changed? And, they, and you can't necessarily, it is like a river. So, so you know, especially if, if like you, you know, you, you and I, I think we're we're joined spirits in the sense that we we both see something huge and complex and think we'll have a go, we'll have a go. Yes, and, yeah, most definitely. And we try to think of it in the most simplest way possible, don't we? Yes, yes. But you know, if you're trying to solve the problem of I don't know poverty or health or old people, you know, it's not going to be solved, is it? You know, we are kind of going to go back into the earth from which we came, and there will still be problems. But one of the really things that I feel so happy about is thinking back of the amazing people that I've worked with in the past. And very often, very young people, you just think these are such bright sparks. If for the time that I'm working with them, I can give them an opportunity to do something that's really interesting and and step up that ladder and listen to their ideas and understand them, then that's one thing that I can look back on and think it was great working with them and I've seen them grow. So, yes. It seems to me that you have this, you do have this passion around future leaders. I mean, uh, you, you just dropped in there as we were chatting away. You said, oh, it's co-founder of something called Common Purpose. Well, I remember Common Purpose. It was set up, as you said, back in the 80s. But Common Purpose was was really around um, and it became national, you know, it, it was like yeah, most yeah. organizations did some work with common purpose, but that's where you created forums where leaders from uh, varied companies would come together, various organizations would come together and, and, and do some peer-to-peer learning, really, really, and networking. And I thought it, it was incredibly powerful. And so that was also about developing leadership and investing in leadership going forward, wasn't it? Yes, uh, and and that was, uh, I mean, the the inspirational leader is a woman who still is is there, Julia Middleton, uh, mm. and it's still going. It's still going strong, common purpose. Uh, and there were four of us who who left what we were doing and uh, and set it up. And Julia was in London, you know, getting it all set up. And I had the North, and my friend Jenny had the Midlands. And uh, so, and, and then and then we were joined by Alison, who took on London. But what we did was to bring together, it was a city leadership model that had been going for some time in the States. And the idea was that you took maybe 30, uh, 30 people who were in leadership positions, but from all over the city. So conventional private sector, public sector, community leaders, people who would normally never come together in the same room, let alone the same effort, if you see what I mean. And we would put them together. We would have a start with a residential, two-day residential, and then had 10 program days that looked at how the city worked. And for the residential, we used to take people to, to, to somewhere that was slightly difficult to get to because when those people sat down in the same room for the first time, they would look at each other and go, oh, my God, I had no idea he would be there or she would be there or this sort of person would be there. And you had 24 hours to weld them into a team that was interested and supportive in, of each other you know, and, and ready to be open-minded and learn about how different sorts of people can learn from each other and and really start to start to to think through how the part of society that they were in whether that was running a tank factory or the treasury department of the council or a you know a kind of women's project in a in a poor part of the uh, part of the city um, where did they fit and where could they interact 
more effectively. So really interesting, really interesting, an amazing thing to be involved in. So you, you have been around in the world of leadership for best part of, well, over 30 years from, from yeah, what you're yeah. saying, really. What do you think you've learned around the most important aspects of leadership? What would you say are the most, the most important attributes of a, a good leader? Well, the first thing I think is that if you're in a leadership position, you have to have, uh, it's the old cliche of your eyes on the hills and your feet on the ground. And, by, mm. and what, I'm, what I mean by that in terms of the practicality is it's very important if you're in a leadership position that you're good at getting the strategy right about seeing, seeing the horizon, understanding the context and understanding your business, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, but it's equally important to, to, to be genuinely emotionally intelligent about what it is like to have the life experience of the person either who's on the front the front line of your organization but also the person that you're there to serve absolutely and and i think very often it's and i understand why i've done it myself you can get divorced from that front line because the the burdens of leadership are such you know you're being rained upon by regulators you're being you're frantically trying to steer a financial path you're trying to keep the people that work for you happy and if you're not careful you can just start to become demoored from the from the from the people that that, that you're there to serve I, I often describe this and i i, I really do sense where, where, where what you're describing there and i often describe it as being lost in the leadership whirlpool that you start off your leadership journey thinking, okay, I want to become a leader because I want to influence change and I want to bring about change and, you know, the way that we deliver our service and the way that we interact with each other, the culture that we have in our organisation or industry. Then as you go further and further down the funnel of leadership and you get become more senior, you see that there are other pressures that sit upon the shoulders of those executive and senior leaders that actually if if not managed correctly, can pull you away from the mirror that is that, that is actually showing you the reality of what you're doing. Well, yes, absolutely, and 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 it's interesting when you said about you know I want to be a leader, somebody who wants to be a leader. I think very often it's it's not so much that people say I want to be leader, although sometimes you'll get somebody who say you know, I want to be the partner in charge. And I think more often <laughs> it's you 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 step into an opportunity and you find yourself in a in a leadership position and and yes you're absolutely right and, and those day-to-day impacts of things that probably people right at the bottom of an organization wouldn't know about are, are they they do weigh incredibly heavily on on people but one of the things that i think is really interesting is when a leader uh, is not just open about the things that that they're experiencing as a leader but really very deliberately is sharing sharing an understanding of those because if you're uh, i mean i spent i've spent over 30 years being a non-executive director in the nhs in various organizations and the 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 sort of physically the biggest one i did was i spent eight years as chair of a huge hospitals trust integrated trust it had everything you know the budget was 660 million and we had 9,000 staff and it's just massive you know loads of hospitals loads of things so your day-to-day is and this is just as the non-executive chair god help the chief executive Mm. you know the complexity of the things that they're dealing with is 
beyond what you would normally expect anybody to understand on the front line. And you shouldn't. You know, if you're being on the front line, you're about that. But I think if they don't, if the people on the front line don't have some understanding of that, they can't play a part into feeding into what makes a difference. And and I think I think so, sometimes a, a, a good test of leadership is how how have they managed to get the story of what's happening to the organisation clear to everybody in the organisation. You've you've heard that old cliche of of the who was it somebody somebody visiting the Kennedy Space Center before they went mm. to the moon and somebody having the conversation with the cleaner about saying what do you do and she said I help people get to the moon uh, because because you know I may be the cleaner but I'm part of a general uh, vision that it, that's what we're here for yeah. and I think if a leader gets so tied up in the day to day complexity of an organisation or a, or a project. That they that they just find themselves set aside from the purpose of why they're there in the first place. That's a really dangerous place to be. Yeah, I think, I, I, and you've described that so wonderfully. And I, I've I've seen this happen in so many ways in so many different organisations, where the burden of leadership increases as you go up, uh, and your eyes get shifted towards the burdens that you have to deal with. You feel you have to deal with, but actually your, your attention is moving away from sometimes what the the organization is all about and the people within the organization and the people that you serve as an organization so i mean it's it many people listening to this program might be saying well do you know what i am that leader who i do have a lot of burdens on my shoulders and just listening to you i recognize that i might be losing touch with the people on within my organization and the, the stakeholders of the organization and I want to be more connected. I want to see what life looks like from their perspective and how do we inspire them to be better, do better, uh, to achieve more. What would be some of the, the, the key things you think that that one individual could start, uh, to do to start on that journey? There are really, really concrete things. Um, and I think it's... Um, uh, so how how often do you meet the people in your organisation? Mm. The the uh, and obviously it depends on the size of the organisation. It depends on the structure. It depends on where your position is in it. You know, if I if I sit on a board, then then uh, the core of that board is quite controlled. Uh, it's 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 um, you know you have a series of meetings. You have very serious and uh, clear accountabilities and so on. Yeah. But I think it's equally important that you that you weave into your role and your life uh, in in that role uh, the opportunity and create the opportunity to actually have conversations with people and to listen to them because otherwise if you're as an as an example say you get a paper on the technology you're going to invest a million pounds in technology and this is going to give you blah blah it's going to a new platform blah. Do you actually know what the technology is like for the people that are working in your organisation? And I remember going round sort of distant hospital wards uh, and and saying to to people that I would meet casually, <laughs> uh, so how are you finding the new technology platform? And they would go, well, they haven't got a clue about it. Oh, do you mean the thing that doesn't work? Well, look, I have a drawer here where I keep a piece of paper and a pen in because if somebody tells me something, I have to write it down because I can't get into the computer or it's taking me an hour in the morning to, to work on the computer. And I think 
that's a silly example in a way, but you know, then think sideways about the frustration that that person is encountering, that every morning they're coming in and it's taking them an hour to get a thing. And, and in order to get the information, they've got to go down the corridor and find somebody else who's better at using the computer uh, and actually coming out. of. So, so it's, it's back to that leadership point of you should, life should be an endless conversation about how you, uh, how you understand the organisation that you're working with, and and the, keep the clarity of what that the vision is that you're there to do. And there is something around, you know, the having the ability to communicate effectively, communicate across the organisation all of these con- constant changes and challenges that we're going through, uh, and also to demonstrate vulnerability as a human being, dem- show show up as a human being. Um, I think that's a real challenge for for leaders, particularly when they get to a more senior level, to remember and remind people that, hey, I'm just I'm just as fallible as you, I'm just as human as you. And that builds trust, doesn't it? It does. I, I think it's a bit of a balancing act because at one level, it's like, and I'll come back to it, the, the word, I think about it in terms of the word compassion. Uh, you know, that you, yes, it's, you, ha- you have to look at what does, what does vulnerability or compassion or empathy mean mm-hmm. it has to be a balance of as a leader i think you've got to be very efficient and effective about making sure that your organization stays on track or or you know and is actually achieving what it's doing yeah. because um you could be in a position where the 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 chief executive is a lovely person but if they're if they're not keeping the organization going in an effective way actually the impact on you is just that yeah he's lovely but actually he's a bit of a pain because he's not making things work so so i think it's that combination of steel and and velvet if you sort of mean yeah. uh, i mean i always say that being an emotionally intelligent leader does not mean that you're a soft touch. It no. doesn't mean necessarily that you are going to be a completely affiliative leader all about the people. Uh, it, it, being emotionally intelligent means that you understand yourself more, you have yeah. a deeper sense of self-awareness and that you have an awareness of other people as well and you understand the context and the, the impact that emotions and feelings have on the decisions that we make. That's what being an emotionally intelligent leader means to me so that is the balance that you're talking about around the steeliness to be able to make the hard decisions, have the difficult conversations, but also to be able to demonstrate that compassion and humility and all of the things, the human things that, that, that connect us uh, with each other. Yes, I completely agree. And that, and that uh, one of the things that I find really difficult nowadays on the, on the occasions that I, that I you know, very occasionally do interviews for roles or jobs or whatever, mm. um, is that nowadays, and you've probably found the same thing, you're expected to kind of do a tap dance and go, I'm fantastic. You know, this is where I've succeeded. This is what I'm proud of. You know, you always get asked, what am I proud of? And this just brings huge self-doubt in me. I think... <laughs> I don't see myself in that way. That that uh, I think leadership is about questions. It's not about it's not about statements of success. It's about right. questions and challenges and uh, and 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 checking things out. And then you could perhaps be in a position where you go, well, of the decisions that I think I've got, this is the one I'm going to make, and this is how I could make it defensible decision making. Do you see what I mean? Uh, yes, absolutely. I'm, I mean, I'm smiling because, you know, yes, you're saying leadership is about questions. And, I, and I'm guessing that you are thinking what I'm thinking, that, that very often the questions that we pose are to ourselves <laughs> as yes, opposed to yes, other people. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the whole defensible decision making is really about understanding 
we I see a lot of leaders who make decisions. But when I when I try to explore how what their rationale is, what their process is for decision making, often it's they don't have a a technique, a, a a model. Whereas you know, I was trained as a goal commander in the police service uh, to be making critical decisions at one or two or three o'clock in the morning. I had a process. Yeah. We were we had this in process that was inbuilt. It was, it was it's second nature even to me uh, today. I could make decisions, and I use the same process: personal decisions from which car I'm going to buy to making those life and death decisions in in the, in the but that's the defensible decision-making that you're talking about, where you can stand up six months, 12 months later and say, the reason why I made that decision was because of A, B, C, D, E, F. These were all my considerations. Yeah. And, you, and you're always aware, aren't you, as a leader, uh, that beyond a certain level, that, that you may look with hindsight and think, crikey, you know, that was the wrong decision. <laughs> but at least I could justify why I thought it was the right one at the time. And oh, the beauty of hindsight. Oh, the beauty of hindsight. <laughs> but I also think it's really interesting looking at the number of decisions because because you're right. You know, if you're trained as a gold commander, you have a you have a set of steps that you're told to go through, uh, and and they are they are good lessons for life, aren't they? Uh, but mm. but there are there are there are elements that. Um, that I think are quite commonplace now. So, so does it stack up financially? Uh, you know, will will people wear it? Uh, is mm. is it? But some of the things that always surprise me about uh, that don't get looked at enough are well. Let's think through the practical consequences of that. So, the number yeah. of times you know, as a, as a young person, I. I always had this kind of wide-eyed, innocence approach. I thought, as I get older and into more senior positions, I will see that there is this kind of wise <laughs> council of people who've learned from their mistakes. Were you disappointed? Yeah, you go up further and further and you just think, oh, blimey, it's just as much of a mess as it was further down. I am the wise council. Yes, <laughs> but, one, but the number of times that you get, I'm sort of the generation where people used to smoke in the old days, but, you know, the back of the fag packet decision. And you think, do they not have basic mental arithmetic? Like, I spent years with the Mental Health Act Commission, where uh, as vice chair of the Mental Health Act Commission, which was, as you know, uh, you know, it was the kind of protectorate rather than inspectorate of people who'd been sectioned under the Mental Health Act and might be the last resort if the system was not doing them the right thing. And, and I remember working for ages uh, at, at one remove with, with a policy that was going to be about uh, that there was going to be this shiny new policy that every person who was sectioned under the Mental Health Act would be visited by a professional of a certain sort within 12 hours. And I said, hang on a moment, back of a fact packet, got to be a psychiatrist <laughs> of a certain level. There's only 2,000 of them and there are 33,000 sectionings a year. Where did that come from? You know, so... Yeah. So, so sometimes leadership is about putting together the different pieces and being the, the bit of a check and a balance about have we got all the evidence in place, you know? <laughs> um, this is so refreshing. I, I know that we have almost this humorous take on leadership, but there's so yeah. much depth and learning in this. Uh, and 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 the wisdom that comes from two people who've had three decades each That's in right. leadership. <laughs> and still realise that they're not very good at it. That's right. We can chuckle about some of these back of the fag packet decisions that have been made. Yes. But I mean, talking about leadership going forward, and I know that you're you're incredibly passionate, as am I, about creating leaders of the future and the work that you're doing, um, particularly with that CIC company, but also yeah. with the NCFE, is really about equipping young people with skill sets that are not necessarily technical skill sets. Because we had this discussion, didn't we, that 
for so long the world has revolved in this very sort of narrow pathway that the only skills, the only qualifications that really matter are the technical qualifications. But actually, you're a firm supporter of the fact that uh, vocational skills, life skills are, are so, so important in, in, in our leadership journey as well. Tell me about the, the driver behind NCFE and the kind of vocational qualifications that you, you offer and, and why? Well, NCFE was, was set up in 1848, a great year for Europe, you know, a year of revolution. Uh, and it was set up by the, some of the industrialists, the powerful industrialists and, and scientists of the Northeast. Okay. At the time when the Northeast was the, you know, the heart of British industry in some ways, you know, shipbuilding, engineering, steel, coal. Um, and they wanted to give good development opportunities to the young people coming up behind them. So it was, and, and there, there were regional equivalents other, other, in other places around the country. Uh, but so, so it was, in a way, it was about creating training for young people coming up through those industries. So it used to be the Northern Council for Further Education. Yeah. But that, that has been through lots of iterations, but it's still got a very proud history. So, so now it's about uh, it's it's about providing qualifications in lots and lots of different areas. So, so um, uh, if if you think the, the the two biggest are Pearsons and then City and Guilds, and NCFE is the third. So it's 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 really up there, isn't it, in terms of national recognition? Yes, it's uh, and it's and it's a very wide range of vocational qualifications. So, so a lot will be young people in FE colleges or private providers, but it can also be um, mental health at work, for example. I mean, and it, my husband thinks it's very funny because the, the postman, we know our postman really well, and one of them is a brilliant lifelong learner and he's, he's a mental health at work counsellor and all that kind of thing. And he's banging on the door and saying, look, I've got another certificate signed by your wife. <laughs> so NCFE does that whole sort of range as well. Brilliant. But we're really interested as an organisation, precisely in what you're talking about, about we see it as kind of horizontal threads. So you might be training mm. to be um, in childcare or uh, an IT technician, but actually the horizontal strands that we're really interested in as well are about your uh, your resilience. Uh, so how how do you how do you learn resilience? Uh, how how do you how do you become uh, good at assessing what you're good at and how you're going to ad adapt that? How your in relationship skills? And so we we've been supporting. We're a charity, and we've been uh, supporting through the charity ways uh, ways that will actually support people of all ages but especially young people to equip themselves for a sort of happy healthy and wealthy life uh, and those go go across so we're supporting for example teachers to become their best in fe colleges uh, and and putting in bursaries and so on for people to do courses uh, we've supported a, a platform uh, a digital platform that's about uh, like uh, improving your mental health through your thinking skills oh you know you're talking my language deborah i think this is absolutely fascinating and i know that you and i will end up having a much much longer discussion about this because as you're chatting away there talking about the wonderful work of the ncfe and i love this this concept of thinking horizontally as opposed to just vertically, because, you know, I, I honestly, I genuinely get really frustrated that in society we think there is only one approach to everything and there isn't. 
and and I often have this this whole IQ versus EQ debate, and I say, well, EQ is important. Uh, sorry, IQ is important. It gets you the certification to get you to the door, but what helps you thrive once you're through that door is EQ. Yeah, you really need to have emotional resilience, the ability to build relationships, the ability to develop a deep sense of self awareness, understand how your emotions affect your language and your behavior, and and how that happens in other people as well. And you build empathy, all all these kind of things. So I think it's it's really fantastic what the NCFE do, and we will have a conversation about that for sure. You mentioned it's for like further education colleges. So does this mean that it's only tailored towards people of a certain age, or does this does this go on for? It's for people of all ages, but okay. if, if you understand the, the where the qualifications people sit, so that so so uh, it, the the qualifications are delivered by other people, by colleges, by uh, uh, training providers. It can be private training providers and so on. So it's it's really the certification of of things. So uh, so yes, if you if you look us up, you can see this a very wide range. Yeah. I'm most definitely going to look you up, but I've got direct access to you now. Yes, which exactly, is, <laughs> which is even better. But you know, I'm developing two programs, which I think are are, are all in this ballpark. You know, one is the human centered leadership program after this podcast here. And it really is about creating leaders with a deeper sense of self-awareness and emotional intelligence going forward. And of course, we've already chatted about this uh, program really passionate about for young children and particularly those from under uh, underprivileged uh, and deprived communities to de- uh, to bed in some deep leadership skills to help them going go forward and become leaders of the future. So I think NCFE is probably the pathway that uh, would most be appropriate for that, given where you're coming from in terms of your values, your drivers, your why. Well, certainly, I'm sure there would be people who, who would who would chat to you about that. And clearly, you know, I'm non-executive chair. There's loads of fantastic people working for the organisation who are the ones that actually make it roll, you know, so, but it's a, it's a great organisation. Sounds like a great organisation. And it seems to be driven by values, which I think a lot of organisations, uh, you know, often we see organisations talking about values but very few actually are driven by values i find i think i think in, and it's a very important aspect of organizations isn't it about to understand what the values are but yes ncfe is very values driven and so so yes it's a, it's an exciting organization to be involved with i like it very much and it's clear that you're driven by values because all of your work has been has been around developing leaders of the future Uh, in any way, shape or form that you can contribute to that, you seem to have contributed. Thank you very much for your service over the last 30 plus years (laughs) and your continued service in the the fields of leadership. I want to thank you very much for being on this programme and sharing your time with us. And you and I will have a continued conversation, no doubt about that. Uh, But thank you so much for turning up. Thank you for inviting me, Cole. Good luck. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.